Echoes of Wartime, Episode 3 Loss of a Loved One or Friend In portraying life during World War I on the home front of both Crediton in Devon and Fulda in Germany, using the stories of real people and based on our detailed research, we have imagined how they might have reacted to the extraordinary times they were living in. We have assembled dramatic material using their letters, journals, archived accounts and interviews with historians in both towns. Using these we have created the characters' conversations, thoughts and interactions. Join us as we guide you through this mix of fact and imagination. In wartime those who survive often felt a deep sense of guilt that it was their loved one or friend who died and not them. This episode is taken from a letter written by a colleague of Walter Hallett, a credited man who was killed on the 14th of September 1914. We also hear Joseph von der Haus Sr. writing his journal on New Year's Eve 1914, speaking of his loss. Before the war, the family had lost another son, who had suffered from mental health problems. Now the war had claimed more von der Rohe lives. Here is John Heal, historian from the Credit and History Society. Well, uh, Mr W Heath, um, a colleague of Walter Hallett, sent a letter to um, Walter's father, or Wally as everyone called him, sent it to his father shortly after his death, explaining the circumstances of how and why he was killed during the war. Dear Mr Hallett, I know how great your sorrow must be on hearing the sad news of your son Wally, as we called him. We both joined the army about the same time, maybe 12 years ago now, and we went through our drills together. In fact, we were nearly always in the same company. But I left and went on the reserve when I had three years in, and he told me that he'd done seven years before he was transferred to reserve. But when we were both called up on August the 5th, we both went together to number one company. And of course, we were together all the time in France, and I can tell you, we had a terrible time, especially when we were retiring from Mons to near Paris. But he stuck it like a brick. He was always a good man for marching, but we didn't do much actual fighting until the 6th of September. Then we had rather a severe day. I think he had one of his men killed. Anyway, we had 51 casualties, including five killed. That day and two days later, when we were marching along the road, a shell came unawares and fell amongst our stretcher bearers, killing four and wounding nine others. We were lucky as the shell passed over our heads. That was during the Battle of the Marne. We did not see much of the enemy then until the 14th of September. We were lying down in a ploughed field and just before Rivelli we heard rifle fire quite close to us. Of course we both knew that was our outpost firing and we had to get what food we could to march off at once. I have survived I knew I would It was a wet and foggy morning, only possible to see 200 yards. We marched through the village of Rondrasi and climbed up a steep bank, rising about 200 feet. And when we got to the top, it was a flat stubble field. We opened out and advanced about 600 yards 
and they started shelling us. That would be about 6am. We had the order to get in the ditch by the roadside which ran across our front. So we had a little cover for a bit, but the first shell wounded two of my men. But we laid there until nearly 9am. And then we had the order to advance with a platoon, each of the Black Watch and Cameroon Islanders. We advanced about 300 yards and then the mist began to clear off a bit and we could see the Germans. And of course they were firing at us. We retaliated quickly. We could see there was a valley all around us. The Germans being on a ridge about 600 yards in front of us. We stayed there firing till about 1pm. Of course by that time we were wet through, lying in water and had no cover as there were no trenches. Then a company of Scots guards came up to help us. The German shells had been falling about 200 yards behind us all the time, but after the Scots guard came up, the Germans started to come up the valley from each side and to the front of us in hundreds, and there were only a few of us. We had to retire pretty quickly, and it was during that retirement that we were running along together when I got hit. I said to him, I'm hitting both legs. Wally, Wally said, can you still run? I said yes, but of course I soon began to hang behind when, when he said, catch hold of my hand and let me help you, which he did for a short distance. We then saw a small bank about two feet high at the top of Stone Quarry, and we went and laid down there, but of course it wasn't much cover. I then told him my legs were getting worse as the numbness wore off and that I was going to take my kit off. He said, let me help you with it, and before we could get it off, a bullet from a scrapnel came and hit him straight in the top of the head, killed him. Killed him instantly. His head just fell, fell on his right arm. I, I took off his cap and I could see where he was hit in the centre of his head. Just before he was killed, he said, My word, it is hot today. And that was the last thing he said. I was grieved when I looked at him. He was such a nice chap and such a shame he should die like that, especially in helping me. Because I think if he hadn't been helping me, he would have had his head a few inches lower and the bullet would have passed over him. But his death was painless. <laughs> I'm sorry now that I didn't take something off him so I could send it on to you. But of course, at times such as though, if you can't think of anything that you do afterwards. I then placed his cap over his head and ran back to the bank which he went up in the morning. I would gladly write to the war office for you, give him particulars, but I don't think it would be of any use, as they only take notice of information from the front. I expect the reason he's been reported as missing is because he had not been found by any of the coal streams who knew him, or else he may have lost his identification disc. That, that is a small metal plate we wore about our necks with our name and number on it so we could be identified in, in case of death. I remain yours truly, W.
is Dr. Thomas Hyler, Director of Culture and Archives for the city of Fulda. Six weeks later, the sun was dead. On the 6th of September, in France, Mrs. Fonderau was at home in September 14 when the message came from the front that her son died. 31st of December 1914. A difficult year comes to an end. The long dreaded world war rages on and snatches blossoming young men from life. God in his benevolence God in his benevolence <coughs> has also bestowed on me the uh, providence of two difficult sacrifices. Can it really be providence? But I have to stay strong for my beloved daughter Gustel, for my brave son Robert. <sighs> my dearest Josef lies far away in French soil since 6th of September, no green pine needles to lay upon the blood-soaked chosen site to adorn their grave. To this great loss it has pleased God to add yet another bigger loss. <laughs> How can it Please God to create such pain. How? Dear Lord, how? <coughs> On the 1st of December, Josephine, my true life partner, was consigned to the cold earth. <laughs> Dear God, you ask so much of me. You who knows how it is to have a son suffer, yet you have already taken two of my own sons and now my wife. How can I stay strong in my faith in the face of such loss? How can I hold my head up and say it is the will of the Lord? Father, I beg you, give me strength to endure this pain. What a different New Year's Eve to the last 30 years. Otherwise, my loved ones, death has already snatched three and Robert is far away in the snowy battlefields of Russia. What God has given, God has taken away. God be praised. God be praised? Where's the hope that all this pain and misery will be followed by peace among men? No more suffering? Only one wish inspires my heart this evening. Care for the young day, the biggest New Year's Eve of eternity, will bring us all together happy 
forevermore. Thereby will divine providence give us strength and mercy. In episode 3, parts were played as follows. W. Heath, Eddie Holden, Joseph von der Rau Sr., Martin Donovert, and the narrator was Eddie Holden. Echoes of Wartime was a common player's production, written and edited by Mary Stevenson and produced by Rod Brooks Hocking. It was funded by the Heritage Lottery Fund. For more information, go to www.echoesofwartime.com. Sound effects were from the bbc.co.uk, copyright 2018. The music was excerpts from Now the Guns Have Stopped from The Armed Man by Carl Jenkins.